What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Sunday League Screamers podcast. I'm your host of today's show, Steve McCutcheon, along with my one co-host, Vito Anazelli. What's up, boy? What's going on, man? Back-to-back weeks down a man, huh? I know, I know. We're going to have to check Mike into alcohol anonymous really, really <laughs> soon, man. Four-day bender on a bachelor party weekend. It's all right. Your two musketeers are here. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get started on the show, though, if anyone listened, please take a moment, hit the bell, subscribe, like, comment on our YouTube channel, Sunday League Screamers Podcast, and also follow us on Twitter at the SL Screamers underscore pod. Now, let's get the show on the road, man. We do. We have a great one for us today. I thought there's so much to talk about, and I was really excited for it. Definitely. In yeah. world, we have Messi making his debut for PSG. Yeah. I mean, we've been waiting a while to see this. Unfortunately, Neymar was subbed out for him, so you didn't get a chance to see the big three, but... It's finally real. For the first time in history, Messi steps on the field for a club other than Barcelona, and sky's the limit for this team right now. Dude, it just feels weird, man. It just doesn't look right. (laughs) Very. Doesn't. I hate to see it. I just can't wait to see them link up. Just, like, truly week in, week out, just combining – oh, my God. Messi's going to have 35 goals minimum. Uh, Yeah, I can't wait either, man. And on, yeah. top, and on top of that, too, uh, I don't know if you saw Real Madrid pulled out of the Mbappe race. So he's definitely staying now, which is, I mean, rightfully so for them. It doesn't make sense to spend $150 million on a guy who's free next summer. Mm-hmm. That that's, makes zero, like, financial sense yeah. in the least bit. Yeah, they're, they're discussing, well, the reports are indicating that they're going to be looking for a pre-contract agreement in uh, January instead and try to get him on the, on the free, basically. So uh, we'll see how that plans out for them. I don't see it being an issue. He's been saying he's wanted to go there. He's Ronaldo's yeah. idol, the whole nine. So I'm surprised that didn't shot. come about earlier. I mean, you know, Matt, everyone knows Mbappe wants to go be playing there. It, waiting six months to sign him to the pre-contract or even playing one more year without him and giving yourself time to unload players like Hazard or Rodrigo or whoever, whoever yeah, for wage to offload, it's it's worth it than paying 200 and something million dollars for this guy, you know? No, absolutely. It, it, they're, they're definitely making the right call by waiting on that. And then exactly, yeah. do the pre-contract six months out and you have him locked up, you're fine. Yep, exactly. And then the biggest news, at least I would say, from the Premier League, from transfer purposes, Ronaldo comes back home to United. How do we feel about Ooh, that? One? The prodigal son returns. We said it last week. One of the big pieces that United was missing to be genuine title contenders this season was that that out and out number nine. I know Ronaldo's number seven. He likes to play on the wing, but at this age and his goal scoring prowess, he's been playing through the middle there. Like yeah, with Sancho on the wings and things of that nature. This does this make them genuine title contenders in your opinion? Genuine this season. I still feel they lack the defensive midfield depth. If Pogba goes down, McTominay is hurt already, and I don't think that that's their biggest key to me. Yes, they got Veron. He's going to hold down that back line. They're getting Ronaldo, Sancho. They made some excellent signings. I just think they don't have that Conte. Someone like. Yeah, like in, almost like an Ndidi to Conte to break up the midfield play. Yeah. yeah, you know what I'm saying? Just like someone to control that that one area of the pitch, like some, like where Pogba can go box to box and then someone's protecting him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, look, I'm just hoping I can get him on my fantasy team when he becomes available. So Yeah, I become last place, <laughs> man. You, you ain't pulling that twice. <laughs> Which anyway, oh, I actually, I, I should have had to chuck a white call. Maybe I'll do that on our next episode with Mike because uh, I did lose to him this past week, which kind of sucks. Yikes. He beat me the first week, too. I was like, he has the strongest team. But anyway. Nah, screw him. He ain't even here. No dedication. (laughs) All right, on to our Stars and Stripes recap, where we kind of go over all the young Americans and old Americans, too, across the entire world, actually, Europe, abroad, and uh, on the homeland, too. So first up, we have Gio Reyna. 
Yeah, Gio, another good week. He's stringing together a couple of weeks of impressive performances. He unfortunately left the game with a little bit of a knock early on. I think it was about the 64th minute or so, but he did already con- he had a contributed goal at that point. I believe it was the opening goal. Did really well to create the uh, a little bit of space for himself. Jude Bellingham slid him in the ball. A couple of defenders closed him down, but good footwork to try to find a way to slot that past the keeper on, his, uh, on the near post there. Overall, really good game for him. Disappointing to see. Hopefully he's available for us in the coming qualifiers, but 86% passing, a couple key passes, and eight recoveries for him. So a good week for Gio. I, I like him that number eight, number 10 role, because I actually think mm-hmm. he does a tremendous job on defense too. He's very tenacious coming back and uh, helping out with that. And eight yeah. recovery shows it. Yeah, definitely. You, you can check out his heat maps from this year compared to, compared to where he was playing last year. And you, you're definitely getting a more of a box-to-box midfielder type of feel from him the way um, he's set up at Dortmund. Yeah, hopefully uh, Berhalter doesn't use him too much out in that wing. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Next up, we have Ricardo Pepe. Dude put in an absolute shift the other day. 76 minutes played, two goals, one assist, 81% passing, one key pass. He's makes, he makes it four goals in his last two games, or four goals created, I should say, in his last two games, three goals, one assist. And he's coming up for his first senior caps for the, for the national team at World Cup qualifiers. I'm not saying this guy is going to go slot right, in this, right into the starting striker role because we've got Sargent and P-Folk, I think, as well, who have some, a little bit more experience. But God damn, you know, this kid is really good. It's a great signing as long as he stays with the U.S. And – I wouldn't be shocked if Sergeant Pifok and him all get at least one game up front, at least at least a start. Yeah, I, I think so. I think at this stage, and especially maybe against some of the you know quote unquote lesser opponents, where you can afford to rotate a little bit heavier and get a new look for some of these maybe untested, unproven as far as the national stage goes. I, I agree. I think he definitely should be getting some time. He he looks he looks really good. Yeah, I mean, and the kids young as young as can be. So interesting to see. And he's a Mexican dual national. So mm-hmm. I wonder if in the future that can start swaying the tides of having conversations and talks with these guys where typically they usually go to Mexico. We pull out like the European Americans that come over and said like, he may start a trend. Who knows? Some we might start pulling us a couple more of those guys and just improving this uh, depth and squad. So definitely. Then we had Brendan Aronson over in Salzburg. Yeah. They, uh, they played a champions league uh, second leg against Bronby and uh, they came out, Two one winners in the day, four two aggregate overall. But, but uh, he had a really good game. He eighty five minutes he played. He did he did score a goal too, which was nice. Uh, it was a little bit of a fortunate goal. It was kind of a, a poor a poor pass out from the keeper of Bromby. But he did a good job at timing his run and get slid in, and he he put the ball away. Ninety one percent passing, completed a dribble and uh, five recoveries in defense. So again, good game for him. Hoping he can get a a good amount of minutes in the qualifiers and see how he can link up with the remaining rest of the team. Yeah, he doesn't scare me as something like if Pulisic doesn't start the first game, which I'm assuming he won't because of mm-hmm. uh, having COVID, not maybe not being 90 minutes ready at least. Yeah. I have no problem seeing this guy on the left wing right now. He scored in both of the quali- the last qualifying rounds, the home and away legs. I don't think the big occasion phases him one bit, and I'd be more than happy to just watch him flourish for us. Yeah, he he played a little bit more in that um, that cam role for Salzburg, if I remember correctly. You think he's gonna he gonna try to fall back into that role, or you think he's primarily might be used out in the wing? I think he's going to use that in the wing just because of Pulisic not being healthy. Right. Like he's healthy, but he's not probably going to be yeah. 90 minutes match. So he might be like a 20 or 30 minutes sub the first game. Then we'll start probably start against Canada more than likely. Um, Tim, I don't know if you saw Tim Wea went down two to injury. He's not going to be with us for the qualifiers, which kind yeah. of sucks. Again, that hurts the winger depth, which scares me about Gio Reyna going out there, but maybe Conrad can uh, sway, sway Greg's uh, ideas over there. Yeah. 
Next up, we had Jordan Pifok uh, for Young Boys. He played 45 minutes, had another goal, making it three goals in his last four games, 80% passing, won six out of six duels up front, including three aerials. Love that heading into camp because Greg really loves to play with that lone striker who's a great holdup player, and he's if he can win aerial duels, head it, head it passes down, all that kind of stuff. I really like how to folk and I mean, hell, he scored the game winner for the, the semifinals in Nations League last time out. So, yep. great kid, great young kid, another good striker up front, just keeps adding depth to that position, that number nine. Mm-hmm. Another number nine for the U.S., Josh Sargent. Josh Sargent had himself a bit of a mixed week. He, uh, in the NFL Cup, Norwich routed, I forget it was maybe Birmingham or someone, it was like 6-0. Two goals and an assist and 81% passing. He looked fantastic up there. He took his goals and chances as well. He got a little fortunate maybe on one of them, but overall, oh, really, <laughs> really, really strong showing from Sargent. And I think that's why he got the nod this week against Leicester when he was playing up top. They didn't look quite as sharp against Leicester, but obviously the opponent quality was a little bit different, but looked very lively, was constantly looking to get the ball played into him, had maybe one or two difficult opportunities that maybe like someone like Luis Suarez would score, but um, I, I still think he looked generally pretty good overall this week, and I think it's a fantastic week for him. Every every time I see him go out there recently, because I, originally I wasn't the big, biggest Josh Sargent fan. I, I just wasn't. Every time I'm watching him, I, can, I feel like I'm watching him grow as an out-and-out striker. I feel like he's doing more and more every time he gets up there, and he is not one to shy away from from a challenge. And I'd like to see that. So hopefully he can continue getting minutes from Norwich in the Premier League and start stringing something together, um, maybe starting with the qualifiers. Yeah. I mean, listen, his assist was great. He had, it was just like you said, it was his, his defensive work up front. He mm-hmm. stole it, stole the pass, squared it up to a teammate, easy, easy tap in. Uh, his two goals were an 18 to 20 yard bangers from outside the box by any means. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, hey, yeah. a scrappy goal is a scrappy goal. You're going to get two of them. I'll take the that goals. any day of the week, man. Damn right. But um, he didn't start this past weekend, though, though. I thought he came off the bench, right? I think so. I think out of the bench. Okay, I just want to make sure. Yeah, I wasn't wasn't positive, but I, I'm shocked he's not starting yet for them. I think he's put in great shifts when he's coming on for Norwich, and I think they could use uh, someone like him. So, who yep. knows? A couple of honorable mentions out there. We had Anthony Robinson and Tim Ream both kept a clean sheet along with Brooks, uh, John Brooks. They actually played uh, our Red Bull uh, Lisbing against Tyler Adams. Leipzig. Uh, Conrad, what's up? Leipzig. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> Tomato, tomato, right? I'm American, <laughs> uncultured. Uh, Conrad picked up an assist for Olympia Marseille and Buzio uh, made his first appearance for Venezia, completed the most passes in the game and had 11 recoveries and they still lost through nothing. So that just shows how much they're uh, up against it out in Serie A. Yeah. Yeah. He did have the highest rating of any player on the team though, which is great to see. Yeah. So not in the USA camp, but you know, for the future. Then we had our weekly recap of all the games that happened this past weekend. The first one was a early 7 a.m. start on the East Coast, so Vito, Vito out West might not have caught all of this one. Look, I love, uh, I love the Premier League, but I could not get up at 4.30. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that just wasn't happening. Don't worry. The was, result was fairly uh, obvious. Wasn't much to see. Man City took down <laughs> Arsenal 5-0. It was an absolute poop fest all over them. The uh, yeah. red card definitely didn't help Arsenal for Granit Xhaka by any means, but they still stunk it up big time. If you watched any of the Arsenal games this year, you watched all three of them. That, that's exactly how they've played every single time. The game was over in 10 minutes once Manscaped scored their second one. There's nothing to it, man. McCarteta and Arsenal are honestly in some serious trouble. They keep spending and spending and spending, and it's reminding me more of Barcelona where now they're in a bunch of trouble right now. Yeah, I, I was seeing that they were about to hold crisis talks because, unfortunately, Arsenal's goal of the season is going to come from either training or the youth academy at this point. I saw that. There's a funny um, about that. I think the women's team is hitting in, hitting dingers because it's just not panning out for these guys. You're they're in, they're in so much trouble. 
I, I can't wait to see the documentary next year. Which uh, the all or nothing, the all or nothing. They're, they were doing Arsenal this season, and they could not have picked the a worse season. Oh my god! Right now, you mean a you mean a better season? That's yeah, a great yeah. comedy. What are you talking well, about? It w- it was nice to see Pep come out in defense of Arteta. You know, they they worked together for a while at City and defend him. So you know, it's a project. I have utmost faith in him, etc. Interesting to see Mesut Ozil though say it's a work in progress and trust the process. I didn't. I did not expect that to happen. Something cryptic. I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah. But uh, I, interesting because it just happened today. Uh, William leaving $20 million on the table. Mm-hmm. Ripped up the contract and said, peace out. I'm going back to Brazil. Yep. Corinthians, I believe, right? Yeah. I, I could be wrong here, but to leave that much money on a retirement contract for a man like that, who's just kind of collecting the paycheck at this point, why not just, like, you have to be in some serious trouble just to not stay. Mm-hmm. Like it, like it must be. I, I'm not. I'm not going to speak for the locker room. I have no insider knowledge of it whatsoever. But for me to lose out on 20 million over the next two years is something not fun. Especially considering before he left Chelsea, he was looking for a three-year deal because it was going to be his last big contract, and Chelsea were only willing to offer him two. So to exactly. your point, why would you be giving up those two years? You you fought. You changed and the money specifically to get that. Yeah, it, it don't make sense, man. Something's yeah. going on over there behind the scenes that we're not seeing either. Well, do you, you see Mait, uh, Maitland Niles today on Instagram asking for a transfer? Yep, on his stories. Yeah, I was. That's that's look. That's all all teams aside, all you know, whatever aside. That's not the way to go about it. To your it's point, not, but something has to be going on that that the rest of the world's not seeing, other than the obvious, because it's things are just falling apart over there. Yeah, it's bad, dude. It's. When, when players are acting like that over social media, great. I don't, I don't care like how young they might be or how old they don't matter. Like when that's happening, like, yo, something's up. Yeah. But enough about talking about Arsenal. I'm sure they don't need any more shit on their plate. Uh, we have Ashton Villa with a one, one draw with Brentford. Yeah. Uh, Ivan Tony got on the score sheet uh, finally. So for Brentford, that was good to see. He's their, their main threat. He was in the championship. He scored a, a whole bunch of goals. So it's good to see him starting to find his shooting boots on, in the Premier League. Hopefully more to come from him there. A little surprised it ended up uh, as low scoring as it did. Brentford. Both, is both kind the of goals were early of, too. Yeah. Yes. Brentford kind of reminds me of almost a little bit like a Leeds team where they, they like to push the tempo and they like, they like to, try to score goals. They're not going to sit back and defend. And obviously with the attacking talent that Aston Villa have, have brought in, uh, in Danny Ings and on Leon Bailey, I'm surprised to see it only end up as a one, one generally speaking though, the game was fairly, fairly balanced. I mean, possession was about the same. There were just about as many shots, biggest problem for Brentford. And we say this with a lot of some of the lower teams. I know we say this a lot, but two out of the nine shots on target compared to five out of seven for Aston Villa. I mean, you're going to score goals. You got to put them on target. doesn't matter how many shots you have, unless you're, you're making forcing goalkeepers into saves. But I thought it was a nice balanced affair. Brentford again, picked up another big point. That's three straight games where they picked up points, uh, two draws and a win now for them. So you can see that they're adjusting to the Premier League pretty well. Yeah. I thought I saw something the other day uh, after, after their game was they were the first newly promoted team in a very long time to collect or to not lose a, one of the first three matches, which is awesome for them. First time awesome. back in, you know, 50, 60, 70 odd years, whatever yeah, it's been. Yeah. So it's been, been hell long in that top flight. Do you but, think um, the start of the season, you would take them out of a relegation battle thought process? I mean, I didn't, I didn't have them in there uh, personally, but um, yeah, I, I don't, if you take Norwich, Watford and them, not even close to head, like, okay. Norwich has been really unfortunate with who they played, but Brentford has had a little bit of easier schedule and they've showed they're capable of competing with those mid-tier teams. So I don't, I don't see them having any relegation troubles. Right. Okay. Uh, then we had Brighton zero, Brighton nil. 
Everton two. Realistically, only one winner in this one. Everton pretty much dominated from start to finish. Uh, the newly signed Gray got off the uh, score sheet right before halftime, which is great to see for them. Somehow, he only cost them $1.5 million. I will never understand that in today's market. <laughs> and then in the 58th minute. Interesting scenes, though. Uh, I don't know where uh, Richard the ball and wouldn't let uh, Calvert Louis take the penalty at first until a bunch of Ever Everton players intervened. What do you you find interesting or not? Because like typically a manager goes out there uh, ahead of time and you know takes one player, he's the guy to go to, and then he has a backup and whatnot. So I didn't know where Charleston was like that, or if there's a different relationship up there uh, between the partners. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, you don't like you like to see the intensity of of Richarlison wanting to be the one to take the penalty. You want to see mm -hmm. you want to see your your top players want the pressure and, and invite the pressure. But no, to your point, you're hundred you're, you're definitely correct. The manager sets the penalty taker. It's it's written down. That's it. That's how it goes. That's what it what you do. Unless that guy's not on the field, there is no discussion to be had. It's not like the captain of the team walked up and was like, "Give me the ball." If that yeah. if that happens, that's a different story. No, you're talking about Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who already had two goals this season in two matches. Now, just, now just made it three and three for convert when when he converted that. And from Charles, from an Everton perspective, how much pressure did Richardson just put on Dom Dominic Calvert-Lewin for that? He he just brought the eyes of everyone I, more than there already were and added pressure to him converting this penalty. And that was not that's definitely not needed. That's not what you want to see from your teammates. I don't know, maybe. Maybe Richarlison's starting to feel it because Ancelotti's gone, and Ancelotti was the one who, who brought him in. And there was a lot of talk of maybe Richarlison leaving the season, and maybe he's trying to maybe he's trying to pat his ass. I thought he, no, he's been there for a while. Ancelotti brought him in. I thought Ancelotti brought him in. Well, whatever it was, I, I think Ancelotti wanted to bring him to Real. That's what it was. Maybe okay. But re regardless of that, you you can't you can't just not you can't do that. You cannot do that. Dominic Calvert Lewin's designated. He steps up. He takes a penalty. Miss or make, that's how it goes. And that's not what you want to see from uh, your two best players on a team, arguably. Yeah, and then manager with Charles, then you take, you take over and say, screw everybody else. And, and then you Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Hate to see it. Then we had Newcastle 2, Southampton 2. Yeah, this was a... Uh... This was a, this was one to watch, especially during the last uh, 15 minutes or so. Newcastle started a little slow, but Southampton really, Southampton really didn't put away their chances. You really thought when it got down toward the end of that game and it's 1-1, and uh, I think it was St. Maximin scores the 91st minute. He puts it away and puts uh, Newcastle up 2-1 and, and only yeah, about a minute and a half over. left. Yeah, you, you'd think that was going to seal it up and, and bring all three points over to Newcastle, but uh, credit to Southampton. Stuck with it. 94th minute, whatever it was, slid the ball in, and I forget which defender it was for Newcastle. Made a kind of a late challenge. I understand why he made the challenge. He slid in trying to take away the shot, but given the goalkeeper's positioning of that ball, he had that covered. At that point, the goalkeeper's going to save it or not. You're not going to win that ball, and even if you did, it's just going to bounce and roll out because you're three of you are standing on top of each other. Now, it went to VAR, and it was a penalty. I do agree with it. He slid in, no ball, clipped his foot while he was following through to make connection. So all, all credit to Southampton. They convert, they tie it up 2-2 and bring a point. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Uh, I, don't, I don't see how that couldn't have been a penalty either. Uh, Ward-Prowse stepped up, took it. He just signed a new contract for them the other day, mm -hmm. too. Uh, the only thing I found interesting about this game was just they both had so many chances to win this, I felt like, or, or just not screw it up <laughs> to win. And it's exactly like either one of them could have taken the three points. They each get a point. And I think that's exactly how their season's going to go. Missed opportunities the yeah. entire time. And I, that's why they're both 
both more than likely probably be in that relegation battle come the end of the season. Yeah, which is and, why it was so surprising to see Danny Ings gone. I, I mean, they did, they did make thirty million pounds off him or, or euros, but yeah, and they spent it on Armstrong. Don't get me wrong; he's yeah. already scored one so far. But you know, it's just it might be def- even more defensively now for him. Who Hopefully, knows? it's not a sign of things to come for them. Yeah. And Vestergaard's gone too. Yeah. Then we had Norwich City one, Leicester City two. I had I had I had this as a draw. You and Mike had it as a Leicester win. Mm-hmm. Congrats to you both. Screw you. Um, <laughs> Honestly, though, I do feel bad for Norwich. I felt they did deserve a point in this game just based off what they created versus what uh, Leicester City created. Leicester has not looked very good going forward for the most part of this season. There was two pretty big VAR decisions in this one. The Sanuchu uh, foul, very clumsy, deserved the penalty, in my opinion. I could see how you might not think it would be, but there was zero reason for him to make the tackle that he made. And just making contact alone, you're going to get a penalty. So Pookie, Pookie put that away, tied it up 1-1 right before halftime. And Mark Albrighton, I think around the 76th minute, scored the eventual game winner for Leicester. The very the second very big bar decision came later in the, later after that. It was a corner kick. Kenny McLean headed home what they thought was the equalizer, but Cantwell, who was standing in an offside position, not by much, yeah, uh, was standing in front of Schmeichel, obstructing his view. So even though he never made a move towards the ball, and Schmeichel probably had nowhere no of a chance. chance if he'd saved this header, it was perfectly in the corner. The goal was called back. I don't think it did justice to it. I understand the rule, though. The rule is if you're obstructing the keeper and he cannot see the ball while you're in an unplayable position, I do get it. But unfortunate for Norwich, they deserved a point from that game at the very least. Yeah, they were. So it's, it's tough. They were a better team for majority parts of that. How, Steve, how frustrating do you think that has to be for Norwich to, to look at that and go, don't be lazy. You know you have to come off the line. You're in an offside position. There's nothing beneficial for you being back there. You, what do you think that does for the rest of the Norwich team seeing that? I don't, I don't, I wouldn't throw too much at Cantwell because his, his, his whole thing to do in that situation is to block the keeper without a doubt. Like just, but just be onside while doing it. If he's onside, there's, there's no, there's no issue. That's, that's completely fair play. No, but that, then that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's almost a sense of, I don't want to say urgency, but, and laziness, but awareness. You, okay, you okay, have to be I, aware I that you're now in an offside position and you're going to be affecting the play for your team negatively. If I'm a player on Norwich City and I see that, I, obviously, I understand the idea, and he's supposed to be doing that. You're right, but I'm I'm pissed. I'm like, dude, you know you are in an offside position. Take a look across the line. You have to get back. You have to do something to help because you're doing nothing for the team now, and you just you just cost us a point. Exactly. That that that's my biggest uh, problem with it is you cost them a point. Like those are extremely valuable come later in the season. So yeah. missing out on one that you you're stealing from Leicester. Typically, like Leicester is definitely the higher quality team in the situation. So mm-hmm. not grabbing that when you should have had something. That's what I think what hurts the most for him. Yeah. And good on the assistant referee on the far side for for recognizing that and putting his flag up, and then and then you know recommending to, to uh, the referee to go back and check the AR. Yeah, no, no doubt. It, listen, it was the right decision. Do I do I am I in love with the call? Not really, because he made no he made no movement for the ball. Yeah, he, like he really did anything. And Schmeichel, it's not like Schmeichel made any sort of effort to kind of throw Cantwell out of the way and actually play the ball. It almost seemed like he knew he was offside. I'm just like, oh fuck it, if this one goes in, like it's coming back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Weird, weird scenario that happened at the end of that one. Couple, there's quite a few VAR decisions though this past week, actually. Mm-hmm. But um, next up, West Ham two and a shock Crystal Palace draw here, two two. Yeah, I think West Ham is going to be pretty disappointed not to bring all three points back to London, uh, or keep them in London. Sorry, but they were by far the better team in the first half. They had a goal going into the break, and you you just kind of expected a little bit more um, of that in the second half, but that wasn't the case. Crystal Palace came out. 
came back. Connor Gallagher, the, the Chelsea Loney, assisted by Christian Benteke. It's nice to see Benteke contributing to that because he's obviously not getting a whole lot of service up front at the moment. So he's finding mm-hmm. ways to get involved, which is great. Uh, and then West Ham go go back up again. Who else? Mikel Antonio to put them back forward. But Dude, for the man, second man. time in that match, Connor Gallagher scores another goal, almost a minute and a half, I think, only behind the Mikel Antonio very, goal yeah, very close. to level it back 2-2. So you like to see it's a great fight from Crystal Palace. Definitely upsetting from a West Ham perspective, given the form that they were in going into this game. But I, I think at that point, I think the, the share of the points is deserved from Crystal Palace's perspective. Connor Gallagher, I mean, just proving for another reason why, you know, why he wants to earn his place in that in that Chelsea team. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with you on, on everything you pretty much just said. I like Crystal Palace right now in the terms of they got their ass whooped opening day by Chelsea, clearly outclassed. Mm-hmm. That that wasn't a question. Since then, they took a point off they took a point off Brentford and took a point off West Ham. Two teams, well one West Ham definitely mm-hmm. Trying to qualify, especially after that Kurt Zuma signing for Champions League. At the very least, they're trying to get Europa. Very least. So a top six team right now. And you take one off Brentford, newly promoted, but In good form. easily by the eye test is, is a mid-table team this season. Mm-hmm. So good for them. I wouldn't consider them out of the relegation troubles just yet. I think they need to find some ways to win these games. Yeah. But I'm liking way more than like opening day reaction. I was like, oh my Lord, they're screwed. Yeah, I, I actually had um, Patrick Vieira as my candidate, my leading candidate to be the first sacked in the Premier League this season. Arteta's and after that Chelsea game, he's right looking now. that way. What's up? I said Arteta is probably minus five. Yeah, our, Arteta, well, Arteta wasn't on the board. He was already gone. But <laughs> Vieira might be turning things around. We'll see. I, I mean, if you, if you can get that performance out of Conor Gallagher week in, week out, because he's by far the tempo of that midfield, you're going to see mm-hmm. them picking up more points like this. Yeah, and, he, and Vieira is a big pushing of his signing too. So it's good mm-hmm. to see. Then uh, our marquee matchup of the week, it was actually at 1230 here Eastern time, was Liverpool and Chelsea. Whew, what a game we had here, honestly. Uh, Kai Harris opened it up with a header, backwards header off a corner. It's really cool. Reminded me of a Christian Pulisic goal from a couple couple of years ago. And uh, he gave Allison no chance. The header was perfectly placed into the corner pretty much. Just watch it at that point. But the most controversial, controversial decision, I guess, kind of, was right before halftime, Big scramble on the box. Alonzo heads a ball away where Mendy could have caught. Big scramble on the goal line. Liverpool takes a shot. Reese James is on the line. Hits his leg, up his arm, and then he kind of pushes out with his arm. Goes to VAR. Red card. Immediate penalty. Mo Salah converts. And the game goes on. So, first of all, with the red card, just curious about your thoughts. Uh, initially, I didn't think it was a red card in, in live time. Seeing it, Same you, with you. you know he had to move his thigh, and he, obviously your body's naturally going to move when you move another part of your body. It's just how how it works, and I didn't think so uh, until they showed that second second camera angle. You can definitely see when it comes off his thigh and it roll, starts rolling up his arm. He does give a shite, a slight shimmy to try to push it out with his arm, and and I think that's where the red card comes from. I think I could see both ways, but I do believe that the red card was the correct decision for this. Yeah, if his arm is like somewhat behind his back and he just glances off of it, I don't see it being an issue. But you can see the ball is definitely probably more than likely going in as it's rolling up his arm. So he, he slaps it out and then definitely, I, I think it was a deserved right. Initially, I was with you though. 100% was against it. I was like, this is a terrible bullshit call. But no, nah, I think the ref definitely made the right decision. Although the freeze frame he looked at for all of 0.4 seconds, I don't think was was <laughs> correct to do, but he did, he did end up getting it right. Yeah. So can't really complain there. It's difficult because it, it 
it took a lot out of the game at that point. You know, it was it was a very free-flowing free game. There was opportunities at either end. There was staunch defending. And the moment that that happened, everything just kind of lopsided, as you would expect it to with a team of Liverpool's quality. Uh, I mean, credit to Chelsea, though, for holding on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought this was one of those kind of games where it made me believe Chelsea was legitimate title contenders. I thought mm-hmm. Thomas Tuchel did phenomenally well managerial-wise after this. He took off an injured Conte, which I think, honest to God, I think he might have done regardless and put – Kovacic and Georgina together in there because they can control the midfield. Greatly. So great job by him. And kind of dropping back to the five back for the majority of that half. They countered as best they could. They even penetrated Liverpool quite a few times. I thought they had a chance to even win the game. But the entire time all that was going on, he was sitting there with his assistant coaches formulating what to do, who to put in, and how to react to the situation instead of just yelling at the fourth official like so many other coaches will do. And they got it done. Their defense looks very legit. Liverpool tried everything they possibly could, couldn't break them down. Chelsea's full man, they win this game. Yes. Yeah, I, I think so. I think this game also just kind of reiterated from a Chelsea perspective that they need to go out and they need to get either Saul or someone that can kind of fill into that holding midfield position because Conte going out with injury was a little scary for us Chelsea fans to see, given what he does for this team. And it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how long he's going to be out. You know he's not playing in uh, qualifiers at this point with the France team assembling and et cetera. But Chelsea made more of a statement with that draw than Liverpool made by not winning that game. Oh yeah, Liverpool lost two points. Chelsea gained one. And yeah. like I said, I I truly I, I know I'm a fan and everything, but I I truly think a full full man Chelsea squad beats wins that game. Yep, agreed. And the scary part is I don't think we've seen them at full stride yet, mm-hmm. which is nuts to me. Um, I am curious about the Salul thing, though, just because I think the best move for them is honestly just a one-year loan with the guy, and you have Billy Gilmore or Conor Gallagher or both coming back into the squad next year Yeah, to kind of solidify that role. So I don't, I, I don't think they need to necessarily sign someone to a permanent deal there. I think a one-year loan is perfect. Interesting. Uh, then we had Burnley and Leeds, 1-1 draw on Sunday. Yeah, not, not the uh, completely open, free-flowing, high-scoring leads we're, we're used to seeing. Uh, it was a fairly straightforward game. They did Leeds controlled the majority of this game, though, throughout. A lot of shots, 12 for each team, very few on target, five in total. It was, it was just kind of a case of missed opportunities and not creating enough. Uh, you know, you had, a, you had a knockdown in the box, um, and Wood scored. And then you had Bamford, who was good to see get on the score sheet in the 86th minute, really close to time. So it's good to see him back amongst the goals. That's his first one of the season. We know how good he was for them last year. So maybe this is a hope for Leeds that maybe he can get, kind of get up and going and convert a couple more of these chances like they need him to. But overall, tough physical game, exactly what you expect to get at Turf Moore. Uh, if Mike was here, oh, yeah. he'd, be, he'd be screaming the praises. Sean Dyche, yeah, baby. Sean Dyche. <laughs> um, but – yeah, well, it was an attacking, attacking leads team versus a, tradi- a traditionally attacking leads team versus tra- traditionally defending Burnley team. And it was exactly what you expected to see from this match. Not much more yeah. than that. No, nah, 100%, dude. Congrats to Bamford on the goal and his England call-up as well. I think mm-hmm. he definitely deserves one. I thought he got snubbed, actually, uh, for the Euro. So, good for him. Um, leads make me uh, – we'll talk about him a little later in the show. But leads are making me a little, little bit nervous right now from what we're seeing yeah. over the first three games. Obviously, you have international break to kind of settle things down and re- reevaluate. But – I'm them. I don't candidates, but we'll, we'll. You broke Spur- up. You broke up there. Sorry, bud. You were saying they're not the, they're not relegation candidates yet, but if they keep performing the way they are, yeah, it, you know it, it's it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I, they, they don't they're not impressing me right now, which is unfortunate. Well, I really like them. 
Yeah, we'll see. Then we had a Spurs 1-0 win over Watford. Baby, Mike's not here, but let's go. <laughs> they completed the North London sandwich on the table. Spurs in first place, Arsenal in dead last. <laughs> a deserved victory on the day, in my opinion. Watford didn't really create anything going forward. Um, again, Spurs' goal wasn't necessarily the nicest. It was a sun-free kick. Well, the goal itself was pretty cool. Sun-free kick, but it was more of a cross. The keeper couldn't react in time because he had to wait for the last guy to possibly touch it. So by that time, it was just too far, uh, pretty much into the net. Thought he could have done better with it, but I understand why, as a goalkeeper, having to sit there and wait because you have to wait for the last touch. So good for Spurs, good for them. Harry Kane staying top of the table, coming first international break. So yeah, if, if you're Watford, Spurs right now, you you can't, you couldn't have asked for a better start. No, you three straight one zero wins. Too, it's they're putting one goal up, keeping clean sheets. They're doing what they need to do. I don't think many people would have predicted them to be three for three at top of the table at this point in the season, but especially after their defensive woes uh, come the last couple of seasons, I think Nuno's definitely brought a bit of, bit of stability to that. Like he did with yeah. that first year in the wolves when they made it, I think with a seventh place finish. So yeah. good for him. He's bringing a bunch of that along. And I, I think they're, they're up for the challenge. I, I don't, they're not in a title contention for me. So I just yet, but you know, champions league if, isn't off the table at this point. Yeah. Wofford, on the other hand, do scare me a little bit. Um, obviously, had the great opening day story, 3-2 win over Ashton Villa, who had so much talk and hype about them. But since then, they haven't scored in the Premier League. Two losses, like uh, two scoreless uh, losses. So we knew that was going to be their Achilles heel this year, but I, it looked promising after day one. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what they can pull together. In the last game of the day, didn't have any less drama than some of the other ones. Wolves, zero. Manchester United, one. Yeah, I, I think Wolves are for the third time in a row, just extremely, extremely unfortunate not to get any points here. I thought they were by far the better team for large portions of that game, even if it meant they didn't have possession of the ball for the majority of the time. They created more opportunities. They put more shots on target. Uh, they were better in defense, tackling, clearances. I, I mean, they were just, I thought, all around the park were, for the most part, dominating United. De Gea got forced into a spectacular double save in the, like the 68th minute or so, right before United ended up scoring. That actually probably made all three points for United because if that goes in, that changes the whole complexity a little bit further. Wolves don't have to be pushing the front foot too much. Um, the controversy of this game, well, number one, Varane starts for this game, but Pogba puts in a kind of a crunching tackle onto Ruben Neves, studs up right in the ankles, Neves kind of doesn't doesn't react, as, I thought, as viciously as he was about to. Looked the referee, wanting the call, didn't get it, fell on his back. Immediately gets slid out to Varane, and Varane sends in a ball down the channel. Before you know it, United's up 1-0. The controversy being, that was, in my opinion, 100% a foul. You can go back and look at replays or images of this, and he's he's clearly come in high, a little bit high with his boot, studs showing right into the ankle of Neves. And this is what VAR is here for. You're supposed, it's supposed to be here to look at these types of situations and go, you might not have seen this, but this happened about 15, 20 seconds before the goal. And it was definitely a foul. And not this even, is pulled think. back for this. And it wasn't looked at. It wasn't overturned. And I think that's a big mistake and something that VAR needs to be accountable for. Yeah, I, listen, I, I really don't disagree with you. I can see this one going either way. Um, the replays were tough to see a little bit. If you know, like if... Uh, if you don't slow it down, if you're watching at full speed, you see Pogba's cleats up, definite potential for danger right there. So already you can call potential uh, a foul. Then you see Neves's shin guard, it looks like, kind of get pushed to the side during that. But I'm guessing not too much 
contact on his shin because otherwise he would have been broke his leg. Yeah. Well, that too, potentially. What I think hurt in this situation was he didn't react right away. So the ref's thinking like, oh, you weren't even touched. Mm-hmm. And then he looks at the ref and just goes, oh, my, my, my shin hurts. My ankle hurts. And then just goes down. So that doesn't look good. The team's, you know, completely discombobulated at that point. And then Saw also has to do much better in net. That was, that was terrible. Yeah. I, definitely, definitely, definitely should have been saved. Yeah. Greenwood, um, Greenwood definitely should have not had a goal there. Yeah. Not, but hey, good for him. This was a case of um, not having enough evidence to overturn on the field, even if they did go to, to a VAR decision on that. In my opinion, yes. It's very similar to the stuff you see in the NFL all the time. Uh, for those who don't know, it's, bas- it's basically just like, if there's not enough evidence to overturn it, like 100% to overturn it, you can't do it. So the call on the field just stands. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I thought that was a prime example of what this was basically Interesting. was about. Yeah. Yep. Either, either replay, it's like, you can you can kind of see him hit it, but it's not like so clear to the point where it's like, oh yeah, definitely studs up. So yeah, I, I in my honestly in my heart, I think it was a foul by definition of the book. But the way the Premier League is also being called this year at the same time, play on. This is yeah. I think you were you were talking about it earlier when you were saying it's there hasn't been too many controversial calls or VAR decisions and things of that nature. So yeah, far. the first two weeks were pretty and this clean. week has been a couple more, and it's definitely come more prevalent. I think what my, my biggest problem with this so far this specific uh, event that is is we spoke about it before the season started and we were hoping to see things a little more physical but var being and we are in these types of situations yeah agreed but we were hoping that var where i was hoping that var would be more involved in things like this i want to see the players stand up when when tackles come in and they want i want to see i want to see them play on i don't want to see every time there's some sort of contact players are going down but do you think this is maybe an instance where if Neves goes down instead of staying on his feet, that the right away that was called for him originally, and is it is that not promoting them to go down in the first place anyway, and to kind of slow the game down, which is what they were trying to avoid? Yeah, if he goes down immediately from that tackle, showing contact, he's getting called. I, I, right? th- I think we're. I think he gets the call. Yeah, but his reaction yeah. did not help the case one bit. It's like negative reinforcement. Like you, you don't you don't want these guys to stand up and play, but if they do, you're not going to call fouls that should have been a foul. I mean, I understand that he's not down on his ass. But a foul's a foul, in my opinion, and that was yeah, the, stud, the studs were showing. Like yeah. nine times, I feel like nine times out of ten is if they're both up like that, and it looked almost like two footed, it kind of. So like, I don't, I don't know where the ref is thinking about the big end. Well, not enough evidence. We'll see. Kind of feel bad for Wolves because on the opposite of Spurs winning one nothing for three straight games, they've lost one nothing three straight <laughs> games. Yikes! So I feel the reason I feel really bad for them is okay. This game right here, Manu Wolves. Wolves expected goal different or expected goals was two point two five. Manu's was 0.58. They four times created as many opportunities and just couldn't put one away. Yeah. Wolves against Spurs, one point six six to one point four two, relatively even but still ahead. Wolves against Leicester opening day, Wolves one point four nine, Leicester City 0.51. Defensively, really good. Offensively, creative up to the like, the final pass, amazing. I'm concerned that they're not scoring but if you took if you gave me these odds the entire year there's no way in hell they stay in the relegation zone or anywhere near the bottom so law of averages for them at this point you're gonna you're gonna figure it out i hope you do bruno lodge because they looked great in that cup match as well but i mean brentford moneyballed it on the same exact statistic they i'm not saying they'd be happy with three straight one losses but they'd be like damn we're creating damn like a good amount of goals so yeah, I'm, I'm not too worried about Wolves. I know we said it last week. If this happens about two more times, maybe. But yeah, then you're kind of like questioning, like, yo, what's, yeah. yo what's, what's going on here, guys? I think you're one goal away from seeing the floodgates open with this team. Yeah, I, 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 I could easily see that. But um, 
but yeah, before we, before we pretty much head out for the day, uh, we obviously don't have any predictions. We're going on international break and stuff. So I kind of want to like go through the teams real quick, tear them up to where you think they are kind of be pushing for. Does that sound good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So tier one, your champ, what are your champions league contenders and even title contenders for the most part? I think it still remains unchanged from the beginning of the season, even three games in and seeing how these teams performed. I think you Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool, and Man United are, are clear and far out the top four. Uh, now, I hope Tottenham could keep this, this streak up and put some pressure on the title because obviously at this point, it's looking like primarily a two-horse race in Chelsea, Man City, the way they performed. But I've, I, I have a really tough, tough time seeing anyone other than those four finishing in the top four come match week 38. I'm with you. I think they improved way too much for the most part. I, I just all the other teams are doing something to help, to like help their help their case and help themselves. But I think those four went above and beyond. They're just they're they're there. Not necessarily Liverpool on their signings, but they got healthy again and they already did a, a large work at some previous transfer windows. So, yeah, I I have Chelsea winning the whole league. I know originally I, I had City, but that was before the Lukaku transfer and the non Kane transfer. With that with that business being done. I think you're looking Chelsea, City, Pool, United in that order but come the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. In, in that order, just in general, any of those top four, I, I don't see them being misplaced. Mm-hmm. Um, tier two, though, this is, I'm curious of your thoughts as well. Uh, just kind of challenging for Europe in general, I kind of have Tottenham, West Ham, Leicester City, Everton, and even Ashton Villa. And just in general, it could be Europa League, it could be Conference League, whatever it might be. I think those five or six teams could really make a push for it. If I had to do a tier 1A, I'd probably throw Tottenham and West Ham in there is kind of in between that tier one and tier two area where they could be making that easy. They could definitely make a Champions League push, but they could also be the ones missing out as well. So I think it's a little early to be putting Everton and Aston Villa in this bracket. I think Tottenham, West Ham, and Leicester definitely are there. They, they've been there for the previous seasons, whether well, Tottenham was in the Champions League and now they're in Europe, mm-hmm. et cetera. But I think my biggest problem with Everton is their lack of consistency. The last couple of years, we've seen them start out so well and, and put mm-hmm. together so many just convincing performances and scoring a whole bunch of goals and, and looking solid on the back. But it just kind of erodes once you get to like Christmas and through the latter half of the season just with, with depth and whatever it may be. So I think it's a little early to be considering Everton up there, especially with the problems that we just saw with Will Charleston and Dominic Cavalier-Lewitt. Hopefully that was just a one-time thing and it's not more of an issue just as a locker room event. But between them and Aston Villa, I think it's slightly too early for them. Come match week eight or nine, I think you'll get a better sense of whether or not they're going to be able to maintain this. But I would personally just put Tottenham, West Ham, and Leicester in that in that tier for me. Okay, I got you. Yeah, I'm more based – Aston Villa is there based off their signings and how they're starting to look a little bit better now. And then obviously that opening, defeat to, opening day defeat to Watford. Mm-hmm. Um, they've made the guys – they brought in all the right guys. And I think their objective is Europe versus where some other teams might be okay with just that mid-table finish. I don't think that's where they want to be. But yeah, I, I can see how they're, they'd be borderline for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, tier three, just straight mid-table teams. I don't see them in any trouble getting relegated, but I also don't see them going anywhere near Europe. Uh, Arsenal, Brentford, Wolves, Leeds. I'm hesitant to say this, but I think Brighton. Yeah, I, I was curious about that when I saw you had written that down. Brighton's the one on this list that I'm not sure about either. I put Everton and Aston Villa into this, obviously, given what I just said about the challenging for Europe tier. Brighton have looked better than they have in the past. This was, I think, was it three? 
three matches. Well, they didn't lose the first two matches, right? They won the first they, two. They won the first two. They were top of yeah. the table after uh, Saturday, last Saturday. That that had already tied their best start to a Premier League campaign, and they were hoping to break that with the third week. Obviously, for them, it didn't work out great with a 2-0 loss, but I did think they looked a little better. Um, I, I think with Brighton, I don't put them in a relegation battle, but I still have them somewhere mm, – 13 to 17 ish. I don't have them quite mid table, but I have them just, just over that relegation line where the, they might be higher a couple places, but their point total isn't necessarily going to be too far off where the relegation spots are. Okay. I, uh, I can't, I can't really argue that on that. I've liked what I've seen from them so far, mostly before this, uh, before the Everton game, they won uh, four straight going back to preseason. So they look all right against, you know, possibly more inferior opponents because their wins were against Burnley 2-1, Watford 2-0, and uh, Cardiff in the cup match 2-0. Mm-hmm. So they ran to someone like Everton who may be that tier above them, in my opinion, and that's where they came into a little bit more of a buzzsaw. Um, I mean, they outpassed them, outpossessed them in that game, but Everton looked much more dangerous and created the better chances too. So yeah, I think they'll be okay and not, and not in safe, or they'll be okay with safety from relegation, but when they run into the more high quality opposition, I see them starting to lose uh, a, lot, a lot more often, but the only team I would maybe move up um, out of our next year that we'll get into a second is because I think they will be kind of in this level with Brighton and that kind Burnley. of, uh, yeah, no, uh, Norwich actually. Oh, okay. Norwich, Yeah. They're my version. You're Brighton. Um, they have had an impossible start to the season against who they face so far. I mean, you got, you got Manchester city right off the bat, basically, you know? Um, yeah. Man city, Liverpool. L- listen, that's out of, that's they piss somebody off, but, but they, they Leicester is a good team, and Norwich were unfortunate not to get a draw, if not the win from that match. Hundred percent. I thought they were fantastic. Well, I shouldn't say fantastic, but they were definitely the better team. And if they can string those types of performances together against a team that we both believe should be challenging for European spot, whether that's Europa or maybe Champions League, depending on how the season goes, I don't think they're going to be in the relegation battle too long i think they're going to start putting a couple of decent performances together against those quote-unquote lower opposition teams now they're getting some of the big boys out of the way early and i think they're going to start climbing the table a little bit yeah we'll find out by pretty much by match week eight or nine how after they have a few few definitely winnable games yeah by, by like their standard just by the matchup wise because uh they face arsenal next week so we got 19th first 20th obviously early in the season or i shouldn't say next week whenever the next match week is um so the way arsenal played winnable game yeah. obviously you look at arsenal and then you look at norwich in terms of clubs siege three nothing friends so i really come into that game no you should have so i see if you're breaking up a little bit there start over yeah so you know you look at arsenal you look at norwich obviously arsenal in a typical uh, typical year you'd see 3-0 arsenal right mm-hmm. but norwich should really go into that game Believing that they can win, and like that should be a it's 19th versus 20th. Like, there's no reason they can't pull that off. Then they got Watford, then they got Everton, Burnley, Brighton before they run into Chelsea. So, again, three out of the four definitely winnable there. Everton might be the one they, they could slip up at, but the other ones all have potential three points on them. So, by that ninth match week, we really should find out what they're kind of about. Yeah, agreed. Hey, yeah, they have to pick up points from these, from these games to your point. They have to. And you, you cannot start the season nine, 10 games in and have five points to show for it. You might as well just pack your bags back to the championship at that point. Yeah. Basically the Sheffield, is, but I, yeah. I, the worst part is I really do think they're creative. It's just right now, the way the schedule lined up for them just to start, uh, 
things can snowball. When you lose, you start to lose a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You start to win, you go on a winning streak, and it just builds momentum. The club believes in itself, the players, and all that. Starting off with it the way they did, it's just tough. But that's why I was so excited to see the way they performed against a team of Leicester's caliber. To see that they, they weren't like they weren't resting and slumping out like oh shit, look how we started. We're mm-hmm. coming swinging every game because we do not want what happened two years ago to happen again. Yeah, yeah. And we'll see. I, I got you. Yeah. Leeds on the other hand, too. Like I said, you know, sophomore slump, they scare me a little bit on that mid-table tier. Um I, it's it's just they're there just because of how well they did last year or mm-hmm. what it what it felt like. Obviously, they gave up a lot of what they scored a lot. I think they had like it was 50 and 50 for goals for and against. So I was, and they came in like ninth or tenth. So Beat as it may, we'll see, we'll see how they end up, but they are scaring me slightly. Yeah. Wolves, I don't think they have enough to challenge necessarily for Europe, especially with the start they had. But again, they played three really quality opponents so far, right? Man U, yeah. Spurs, and Leicester. So not easy start, and one nothing losses when they completely outclass them. It felt like in most games. Yeah. Tier four, we got relegation battle. What do you got for that one? Well, obviously Watford. I think that one's a no brainer. Newcastle, I put in that conversation, seeing how they performed last week was more encouraging, but then to slip up in the 96th minute and allow an equalizer and equalizer in a game where you just thought you stole all three points. That is not a good sign for that team that was already facing a little bit of troubles. It's a big Southampton. So yeah, Southampton, I think definitely is going to be in the conversation for this too. After losing in, you can just see they continuously are squandering uh, opportunities. And while you hope it doesn't continue to happen, I think it's going to be inevitable once you lose a player of that that caliber. I think Burnley are going to be in the conversation for the majority of the season. I think, again, if Mike was here, I think you're going to get a Son Dice masterclass at the end of the season where he pulls a Houdini and, and gets him out of the zone. But I think 16, they're definitely... 17th place. Yeah, yeah they're, they're they're usually around that that point. Other than that one-off season where I think they were finishing like 7th or 8th place. They made Europa, year. yeah. Yeah, um, they're usually around this this point of the table, and I think you're going to see that again this year. Crystal Palace is one of the teams I'm 50-50 on at this point. I'm encouraged with how they performed last week, but I'm not sure that that's sustainable. You can't ask for a Connor Gallagher masterclass week in, week out, and with the service Benteke's been not getting realistically. They're having trouble finding goals, and I think that's going to continue for a while. So, again, I think they're going to be in the same kind of boat as Burnley in the relegation zone for the majority of the year. Yeah, if I had to push, I pretty much agree with you on all those. I don't think Norwich is a mid-table team, in my opinion. I think they're going to be relegation battle through and through the whole year out. Um, they might go above, they might go below that line a few times, but they're going to be sitting right around there. Yeah. Crystal Palace and Burnley, for me, are very two close ones. I'll, I'm very encouraged the last two game weeks for Crystal Palace, but they have to start stringing some wins together and finding ways to get three points instead of just drawing constantly. I think it might eventually happen. Burnley, again, Sean Dyche, bald-headed master. I wish the guy that just gave him like $30 million to spend. Not even 50, not 100, just like 30. They're, they just signed their club record signing, I think it was, and it was like 15 or $14 million. Mm-hmm. And he's been in the Premier League how long with them? Like four or five years yeah. or whatever it's been. <laughs> like, that's, that, that's like that. I, feel so, I feel so bad for the guy, but he figures it out year after year, somehow, one way or another. Um, yeah. Do you, because what's interesting about this and what the teams that we have there for the relegation battle, Steve, is only one team that you have in the relegation battle and that I promoted out of this are actually currently in that zone. 
do you think any of these guys are going to make the Houdini escape? Because right now it's Wolves, Arsenal, Norwich back there. Who do you think of the of the teams you picked that we just discussed? Who do you, who do you think makes a Houdini? What, meaning meaning what? Like in the relegation battle? The relegation battle, but doesn't end up getting relegated because we have you have about six teams you think are going to be in the scrap. I think it's going to be about closer to five. I listen. I'm never going to bet against Sean Dyche, so Burnley's definitely going. I think they're going to they're going to figure out a way. And I want to see a few more weeks out of them, but I do like the way Crystal Palace responded after that Chelsea loss. Yep. I put Southampton into that as well. And then I think those three make the escape. Yeah. Watford, Norwich, Newcastle. I think I, I actually was my prediction for the year. I think I had Newcastle 18th, Norwich 19th, and Watford 20th, if I remember yeah. correctly. I could be wrong. I, oh, no, no. I had Southampton in there actually after post, post Ings uh, departure and pre Adam Armstrong. Yeah. So I think I you're going Brentford which way. I'm regretting that. What's up? <laughs> I think I had Brentford and I'm regretting that. <laughs> yeah. Dumbass. Fuck <laughs> that one up. Yeah. Just a tiny bit. We, uh, our predictions from last week, they're all updated for everyone that's keeping track at home with us. Uh, me and Vito are currently tied at 15 correct answers out of 30, and Mike's at 14. I got a little too cute last week and let them back in, so I'm going to have to get a little bit more predictable come match week four and have to be no, no fun. <laughs> Although, honestly, Norwich deserved that point. I feel like I should I should have had that draw, and also the Wolves the Wolves definitely should have beat Man U, so I'm mad about that Yeah, one. I, I picked Wolves last week. I, I really thought they were going to pull that out at uh... – at the end, but fortunately for them, no dice. Yeah. Still not how Crystal Palace pulled that draw away away at home uh, to West Ham, though, too. I thought West Ham really – Oh, by the way, did you see uh, Michaela uh, Antonio is going to play for Jamaica in the World Cup qualifiers? I did not see that. That's interesting. Dude, Jamaica looks wow. good on paper right now. They pulled so many of the guys that aren't – I don't want to say aren't good enough, but uh, England aren't really looking at, and they pulled them into the Jamaican team. It's not bad. Leon Bailey – Andre Gray. Uh, they picked up Bobby Trudeau. Reed from Fulham. Uh, they got Andre Palmer. Blake from uh, the Union. He's been goalkeeper for, for forever. And then you just got Antonio, who's in yeah. the most form in the world right now up front. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, they're going to be a force, huh? Dude, they're, they're looking good. I, I'm scared for Mexico, man. Like, I don't know. I, we got their number right. Think of it. U.S., Mexico, Costa Rica. Canada's on the up and up. Jamaica looks pretty damn good. It's not going to be easy. Honduras, Panama didn't qualify for the World Cup over us in 2018. So, like, there's teams out there that are, are getting better in CONCACAF. It's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a full horse race. Okay. Jamaica, and Mexico, Mexico is USA, Canada. Yeah, and Mexico is getting very old. They're like their average age. So that's what screwed the USA over the last time. Just yeah. saying, just saying. Things to watch out. So interesting. I still have USA top in that group, though. Obviously. Oh, hell yeah, baby. <laughs> On the up and up. Yep. The young studs. You got anything else to pretty much add to the rest of the show, though? No, just congratulations to Rafael Varon for making his Manchester United debut, debut and getting assist on his debut as a center back. So that's always great to see. So welcome to the Premier League, Rafael. Uh, Ronaldo, welcome bring, back. Yeah, linking back up Ronaldo again. But uh, just dis- disappointing that we're not going to have Premier League for a little while. But obviously, World Cup qualifiers will keep us all entertained. So looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely, man. Go USA. Yep. That'll do it for us, guys, on this episode of the Sunday League Screamers podcast. Like, comment, and hit the bell to subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere else you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the SL Screamers underscore pod for daily tweets about 
the show, World Football, the Premier League, and the United States men's national team. Uh, our next episode, we're actually going to have a special guest appearance from a friend of ours off Twitter. Uh, he's going to come in. We're going to talk about the USA uh, qualifiers and their roster coming up. That's going to be released on Thursday. I'm your host, Steve McCutcheon, with Vino Anazelli signing off. See you guys.